How do you start a podcast, Adri? I I think we're doing it right now, Brie. I think we're starting a podcast. Well, today we're going to talk about aliens. And it's important to note that neither me nor Adri are actually experts on aliens. But we are going to take you all on a learning journey with us as we dig into the who, what, where, why, and when of people's obsession. Speaking of alien stuff, Brie, um, what's the obsession with aliens? Just in, in real life or in fiction? Uh, in both. I, I think that we as humans are pretty into the concept of aliens and searching for aliens and being invaded by aliens. And we're just really into it. Yeah. Um, I So personally, my my experience with aliens is the... Um, from like a real standpoint, my, my dad is super, super into him. So growing up, we listened to this podcast called Coast to Coast. I said podcast. I didn't mean podcast. I meant the precursor podcast, which was uh, like radio shows, but also on the internet. <laughs> they were basically podcasts, but like before time. Uh, in the before time podcasts, uh, it's called Coast to Coast. So if anyone is aware of that, I'm sure uh, people listen to them. But it was uh, done by this guy named Art Bell. And he would have various people on that uh were you know supposedly worked with the government or were in the know about aliens or in the know about supernatural things and they would cover a different super scary thing each night and my dad would listen to that when he would fall asleep and I could hear it through our walls when I was younger so I remember just kind of hearing these really kind of scary stories about time travelers and aliens visiting and abducting people and taking them places and things like that. That's so and that's cool not... because there's, there's a radio show like that in Mexico that I used to hear in the car late at night when I was little. And it's called La Mano Peluda, which is the hairy hand. And it's basically stories like that. It's like 80% chupacabra every night. But every so often you get like an alien abduction story or, you know, eerie lights in the sky. So that's definitely... That's so funny that there's like a, a show like equivalent of that in the radio in Mexico. It's still on, I think. It, it starts playing like around 1130. I'm night. sorry. The Hairy Hand? Yes, The Hairy Hand. That's exactly what it's called. <laughs> okay. Are we going to let that? <laughs> there's no reason. <laughs> well, it's, um, I, I think it's just, it must come from some story, like some original urban, it's, it's mostly urban myths. Mm. So it must come from some original one, but I'm not. I don't I never questioned it. It was just like, obviously, it's 1130 at night and we're in a car. So La Mano Peluda is on. Um, I think this is where we can introduce our tagline. So, Adri, do you want to say it? <laughs> so, yeah, I want to say it. What's the obsession with aliens? <laughs> Pause for jingle. <laughs> pause for the jingle the best part is if we don't insert a jingle and it's just us maybe that can be our thing where we just do the jingle with our mouths <laughs> and it's different every time I, we really want it we want you guys to feel the awkwardness with us because we love to talk but recording is really awkward so if we can make you on there on our level where you feel the discomfort just bring uh, you on our journey of secondhand embarrassment yes oh so great i'm so glad you guys are here with us right now um, so, so I think here's the thing with aliens. I have a couple theories here. I think, I think people believe either because, because we think they're real, because we are afraid of them, or because 
we want them to save us or show us a better way of living. So I think it kind of, for, for me, what I think, I think comes down to three sort of root root reasons. It's just because they are, it's because we're terrified and it's a little bit of a, you know, xenophobia sort of allegory for the fear of the unknown. But then it could also be, they may show us that there's hope out there beyond Earth and beyond what we're doing here to our planet. Yeah, and I think more, you know, more broadly, like scoping all of that together is just that the something more aspect of it. Like there's got to be something more than everything we've already explored, even though there's so much of the planet that we're on right now that is still mostly unexplored. Like, you know, how much of the ocean has been explored? Like 10% or something? Ah, boo, boring ocean. Ocean space. Boo. No, actually, I really am into the ocean. I almost became a marine botanist or marine biologist. Oh, marine botanist. See, this is why I didn't do it. <laughs> I can't even get the name right. But I did That's do like succulent a... succulent coming after you. Uh, I, oh my gosh, it is. It's the big succulent is implanted in my brain. We have a episode coming up that's all about plants and how millennials are really into plants. And I have a theory that there's uh, a secret succulent agenda that is trying to get us all to have succulents because I think they're horrible plants. And I can't come up with any other reason why everybody has them. That's a big conspiracy theory, but we're going to get into conspiracy theories in a minute. So here's the thing about aliens. I know I said that we didn't care if they were real or not, but it is worth noting that shortly before we recorded this, and I say shortly, which could mean anywhere from a couple weeks to five months, you don't know, uh, but that the U.S. Navy actually admitted that... The things on certain um, release media were actually aliens. They said that three clips of declassified military footage um, was actually unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, And they said that it was UFOs. And they said they don't know what they are, uh, but that they didn't give any hints as to what they could be. So I think one. So So they didn't say aliens, but it's definitely aliens. Yeah, I mean, they didn't say it was aliens. What are they supposed to say? Like, soups, aliens, y'all. They're not going to say it's aliens. But they just were said, we don't know what it is. And I think the list of what it could be is pretty small. But anyway, so they basically just kind of confirmed that, which is kind of crazy when the military just admits that. Like, yeah, the super aliens. Yeah, they're super there. And, well, funny, that was a couple months ago, right? Like, in... Well, it was a couple weeks ago, not a couple months ago, right? Like early September? Yeah, I just have no concept of time, and I like to be cagey about when we're recording. So, yeah, yeah, so it was just a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, and I say things like last week when it was really three months ago. But um, in 2004, the Mexican Air Force actually released some footage of about 11 bright flying objects in the sky. And they identified those as UFO, like, right away. So... I think that the Mexican Air Force is a little bit less cagey about it than the U.S. Air Force or the U.S. Navy. Um, And the fun thing is that if you watch the videos, which is actually hard to find, but if you find the video, and I'll try to find a link to put up here, um, the actual Air Force pilots say, um, kind of jokingly, oh, we're not alone. So it's not actually like they're saying it's aliens, but they're totally saying it's aliens. So they're just super, so so the Mexican military was like super into the aliens. Yeah, I think, well, we as a country 
are 100% about aliens. I say that, speaking for my entire people. No, I, I think that there's a lot more. <laughs> Adri yeah, is representing the entire country of Mexico. All Mexicans are me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I do think that there's a little bit more um, just casualness about aliens and UFOs. Maybe not so much UFOs. Uh, I'm sorry, not so much aliens as UFOs. Like, there are so many sightings, especially around Mexico City, that it's just, it's a lot more casual here. It's a lot less spectacle, I think. They're just there. Okay, but that's plenty about real aliens because I kind of really want to dig into a little bit more about people's belief in aliens. Not saying that they were real, but they were super real. But I think I want to dig a little bit more into the kind of history and literature about aliens because I found a lot of really interesting things when I was doing research for this. Um, I was so positive that the kind of history of aliens and literature and media didn't really take off until um, until around the Roswell crash. I kind of thought that the that Roswell may have spurned this kind of new era of, of aliens and people thinking about aliens. Um, but what's actually really fascinating about it is that um, right when Roswell happened was kind of right towards the tail end and in the middle of the golden age of science fiction, which was from like 1938 to 1946. And Roswell was in 1947. So people were, were like so into aliens and science fiction and things like that already. And so when Roswell happened, people were like, I knew it. You know, it was like, it was so people, they were wanting aliens. They wanted Vindication. them so. Yeah. They're like, yes, this is the culmination of, of all of these sci-fi films and that, and that was sort of like, they, they were kind of already leaning that way. So it wasn't like people just jumped there for no reason. They kind of had all of this kind of uh, history backing up about that. But I think I want to talk about Roswell um, in a minute, but I wanted to just touch again on, I, I think it's really astounding how far back the belief in, in aliens goes because the, um, arguably the kind of first science fiction story takes place in second century AD. It's written by um, a Lucian of Samosata. I'm probably saying that wrong. He was a Greek speaking author uh, who was a Syrian. And it's sort of this, it's a novel of, of outlandish tales. And it tells a story about a voyage um, with a bunch of companions and they get taken up by a whirlwind and they end up on the moon like you do. Like you do. It's a little like bit like uh, like the Wizard of Oz, but instead of not being in Kansas, you're just not on Earth anymore. Yeah. So essentially they, they were, so they, they were trying to figure out what, what, what happened beyond the ocean. So they were trying to sail out and instead they got taken up by a whirlwind and they ended up in space and they ended up caught up in this war between the moon people and the sun people. And, um, it was kind of a really interesting satirical thing. And there's a bit of a debate about how like, Oh, did he really believe in aliens or was he, was it being satire or was it science fiction? You know, I don't think it really matters. I just think the fact that it's, this counts, this counts as alien supernatural. Oh, it's totally the moon people are aliens. Yeah. yeah. Moon people, moon people battling. And the sun people. Don't forget the sun people. Yeah. Moon people and the sun people. Yeah. We don't want to have favoritism here. Moon people battling the sun people. Um, and uh, they were fighting over the morning star. 
And so, you know, we, we launched through, through that. We had the kind of a true story and we had 1001 Nights. Uh, and then we even have one of the kind of earliest films, A Trip to the Moon. Um, it's considered one of the first science fiction films and it's in 1902. And it follows a group of astronomers who travel to the moon um, to explore the moon's surface. And they have a big battle and they end up coming home with a moon person. Um, but, and we will have a link to that as well too, because it's kind of really interesting. But so, yeah, you know, so, people have been thinking, yeah. So the obsession is not new. It's super not new. And actually, I think what's, what's fascinating here is that, you know, I'm talking about some of these like early forms of literature, but, um, it was pretty common in the sort of Renaissance era for, um, for people to believe in aliens. In the Renaissance? Tell me more. Yeah. I shall tell you more. So when uh, Copernicus sort of challenged this geocentric vision of the universe where he put the planet at the center, uh, it caused a lot of people to start um, kind of thinking about uh, the world in different ways. And so in addition to that, um, you get um, uh, Giordano Bruno. He was a Dominican friar in the 16th century. And he believed that the stars in the sky were just like ours and that they had planets around them that had people just like us. So he believed that there was just countless solar systems with countless planets and countless people. Um, and he also asserted that God had no particular attachment to us, that we were just one among many peoples. How progressive. Yeah, he was, uh, he was burnt at the stake. Of course. Yeah. Um, they they think it was most likely for his rejection of uh, Christ than it was for his belief in aliens, but I'm sure the aliens didn't help. Yeah, I don't think it helped this case at mm. all, but yeah. Yeah. It's always a bummer when you read about somebody really cool and you're like, what? You go, Bruno. And then it's like he was burnt at the stake. Yeah, like, or uh, defenestrated. That happens a lot, too. <sighs> I know. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I didn't even hear that. Okay, so I think here's the thing that I found super interesting. I think I don't want to go too detailed into all of the stuff that I've read, which we're definitely going to include for our patrons. They will get some of these full lists of all of these lovely books. But you should just know that a lot of sort of Renaissance scholars were getting very weird about thinking about people on other planets. And it was pretty widely believed by people even including Benjamin Franklin that the other planets in our solar system and even moon and the sun were all inhabited by other peoples. So we've been sort of thinking about it for a really long time in, in fiction and in, in religion. And also when people were sort of trying to really figure out the, the history of Earth and the solar systems and things like that. What I was seeing here is that this kind of idea of, of cosmic pluralism, which is a nice term that you can Google, but it's sometimes not taken literally, but it was the idea that there were more planets similar to us. Uh, and it's not a modern idea. In fact, uh, many medieval Muslim scholars endorsed the idea on a very real, literal, there are aliens up there way. <clears throat> and in fact, uh, Iman Muhammad al-Bakir, wrote, uh, maybe you see that God created only the single world and that God did not create humans besides you, 
Well, I swear by God that God created thousands and thousands of worlds and thousands and thousands of mankind. And he died in 733. That's a 733 AD. So that they is were a long, long time ago. Yeah. So I think people have definitely been thinking we are not alone for for a long time. Okay, I know you've been dying to talk about Independence Day this entire time. So just, I know you've been trying to sneak it in. I've been so just to go it for it now. I know. I just, I've seen that movie so many times um, because I got on this weird kick when I've got my first apartment on my own where we just watched, we would just go through these phases where we would watch movies on repeat all the time because we didn't want to have to think about what we we're going to watch. So we just put on Independence Day as sort of our comfort movie that we would have in the background. And I think I probably watched it every day for, uh, three, four months, just every night, just I'd come home from work and I'm like, you know what? All I want to do is hang out and watch Independence Day. And at a um, conservative estimate, you've seen that movie how many times? Maybe 80? Maybe 80. Maybe okay. 80. Yeah. I can tell you that it's, it's still good every time. <laughs> it's a great movie. It, it holds up. It holds up. But I think what's really interesting about Independence Day, if we're thinking about aliens as invaders, um, is that it... Why do you think people are afraid of aliens? Well, I think there's two types. When you think about movies about aliens that are frightening, there's two types. There's the invasion movie. That is the one that we most readily think of or that we've been talking about the most. But then there's also the um, the abduction story, right? The idea that you can be just going about your business and you get taken away and probed and tested on and you you're start losing bits of your memory and and there's a lot of unknownness and i think that both both the invasion movie and the abduction story kind of are united under the sphere of like you said the unknown like having no idea where you've been or where these beings are coming from or what their intentions are the not knowing what the motivation is i think is is key to the fear in all the alien stories when there is fear do you think that that I just wonder how much of the alien abduction stories that are feeding into that. I mean, I think people have been, we don't have notes for this and that's fine, but I wonder how much of the kind of abduction stories, I mean, people have been, people have been afraid of getting taken by things for a long time. I mean, people used to think that they were going to get taken away by fairies uh, and then they would lose time and come back. And, and I just wonder, um, I mean, if things really taking us, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I think that you can draw a really interesting thread, and I think there's an episode of uh, the podcast Lore, which we'll link to here, that kind of makes that connection between the stories we've told before about strange beings that seem kind of otherworldly, otherworldly, whether they're fairies or you know changelings or gnomes or whatever they are, um, taking us um, away and and messing with our mind, and aliens and the same abduction story i think that you can draw a straight line and maybe have some theories come up there of has something always been grabbing some of us and then putting us back um well this you know the the boogeyman and the llorona and things like that that steal you in the night that kind of thing we we have this fear and i think it's kind of fairly universal because these stories come from all countries and all cultures of getting getting taken away and put back differently. 
you know, put back differently than how we were. And that might come from us trying to deal with changes in personality or shifts in mood that we can't explain in people. Um, but it might just be that something has been snatching us for, you know, millennia. Who knows? Well, on that note, we don't have time to unpack all that. (laughs) The academic yikes. (laughs) Yeah, that's a full yike from me. But (laughs) we don't have... We don't have time to unpack all that, but I really do want to talk, you know, because kind of going down through our notes, I really want to talk a little bit about um, the psychology of people who really, really um, believe in it. So we're looking at why people believe. We're looking at when people have believed. But I think looking at um, what what do you think kind of is the root of the kind of conspiracy theories out there that people believe, um, you know, whether or not they're true. Um yeah, and when I look into this, um, you know, I did my, my dive into the the academic papers, and there, I, I have like a little, a little just shakes every time I read an academic paper now after so many years in graduate school. But I dove into the academic papers, and most of them talk about conspiracy theories and the personality traits of people who have abduction stories. So I leaned more towards the conspiracy theories because even though that has a like a dismissive connotation, because when you say conspiracy theory, people start thinking that innately it can't be true. Um, but it, it ties to the beliefs um, that people have um, a paranoia that someone's conspiring against them. So that kind of has a negative connotation. But there's a psychologist called Karen Douglas from the University of Kent, and she boiled down um that conspiracy theories need to satisfy three basic needs in in people. Uh, They provide an understanding and a certainty about something that we don't have understanding or certainty of. They create a sense of control and security, and they improve the believer's self-image. So those are three kind of check marks that have to be checked off if you're going to have a conspiracy theory of any kind. And most beliefs about aliens are filed under conspiracy theory. So that's why we talk about it in that context. But I, I kind of wanted to dig into that because it makes a certain kind of sense of why we want why we want to believe that this is out there. Um, I think it comes from the fact that we know that space is so magnificently vast and we have no idea what's out there that we have to try our best to fill in the blanks, you know, with with something that makes some kind of sense to us, which is, I think, you're going to get into it, right? Why we usually think of aliens as being very humanoid and yeah, something yeah, that we yeah, can that's... understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want me to get into it now? <laughs> um, No, no. I just wanted to mention that you were going to get into it later. Oh, we can pause. Hold on. So I know you're going to bring it up later and you're going to get into it, but we always picture aliens as being somehow humanoid even if they don't look exactly like hot superhumans but even if they look you know green or gray they're still vaguely shaped like what we know a person to be or if they're not they still have kind of the same sense of civilization or morality as humans do um and i think that can be seen as us trying to make sense and have some sort of illusion of control of all of this unknownness that is in space um that's just kind of a little bit of the psych aspect of it, of, of why the human mind might get caught up in the idea of aliens 
not questioning whether they're real or not, but why we think about it so much. Well, I mean, I think what's, what's interesting there is that when you think about how, as we discussed earlier, that the roots of how long we've been thinking weird things about space goes back quite a while. It goes back way further than, than we actually knew how big space really was. And I think that's, I find that just kind of really hard to reconcile in some ways because you, in one sense, yes, it's because we know how big space is, but we, we've been scared by space and what's out there before we even knew how big it was, <laughs> you know, like we, we were, we were looking up at the sky and we saw all of these lights and all of these things up there. And we thought, Oh man, there's weird stuff up there. <clears throat> we've been thinking that for a long time. And then when we actually finally got up into space, it was like, Oh crap, crap, crap. It's bigger than we thought. It's, it's even bigger than we than, thought. It's bigger than we thought. It's weirder than we thought. Of course there's aliens. Ah, like it, it's, but it's just interesting that, that they, yeah, I think, I think it is tied to, of course there's aliens up there because of space, but, um, I just wonder how much of it just, you just look up and you just think it's so beautiful. There has to be something up there. I think it's kind of like not unlike looking out into the ocean and you know, it's dark and you know, it's deep and, but the average person doesn't know how big it it is. I mean, if you stand in the ocean, in front of the ocean and you don't have, you know, an interest in marine biology, you just stand there and you see how huge and impossible it is. So if you look up at the sky, you get the same kind of overwhelming, this thing is big and it's dark and I don't know what's on the other side of it. Even if we had no idea how big exactly it was, that little bit of dread, I think, might have always been there. Yeah, it is kind of a feeling when you, you look up at the sky. It's hard because I think in, in, in modern life, we don't really get to encounter the sky kind of as our ancestors did. But if you've ever kind of gone camping and been up and about and, and looked up into the sky that's not polluted by light pollution, it's... Um, kind of almost enough to make you go a little mad <clears throat> because you look up there and it's just um, it feels oppressive. It feels like there's just too much. There's too much up there and you're looking up there and it can be can be super intimidating and there's things moving and they move pretty regularly. So yeah, I definitely think it is comparing it to the ocean is kind of an interesting, interesting thing. I think I got that similar sense when if you've ever gone uh, snorkeling uh, and if you swam out too far and you look down and you can't see, can't see the ocean bottom, that feeling where you're like, oh, I know there's more there. And that's really there, scary. There's more, but I can't see it. And that's terrifying. Yeah. The, 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 that feeling of the unknown of, of just that glimpse of that darkness, not to get deep here, but that glimpse of that darkness is, is sometimes enough to really feed into the fear and you don't need a lot going there. Yeah. The darkness looks into you. But the good thing is that if you keep digging into um, the psychological aspects of of our, our kind of fixation on aliens, um, you actually find that most people's feelings on the matter are pretty positive. Um, there was a, um, a meta-analysis, which is a fun word that means that people will look at a bunch of um, information together and try to see a pattern. And so this meta-analysis was of... Um, articles that talked about the possibility of encountering alien life um, in different forms. So these were from magazines, from newspapers, from websites and all the kind. And what they found was that 
overall, people are feeling pretty good about the idea of someone being out there other than us. So when people are faced with the uh, concept of extraterrestrial life, they're like, yes, we're all for it. We can't wait to meet them. So that's kind of actually a, a positive, happy, upbeat reaction to all of this, what we were talking about, the darkness and the unknown of space. It's unknown. We don't know what's out there. It might be really scary, but we're kind of really pumped to find out what's out there. And why do we keep why do we keep making media about aliens killing us? I, I I think if you start looking at the media about aliens killing us, especially the modern ones, a lot of them are very, very blatant metaphors for our very human conflicts. They're either about the fear of other civilizations encroaching on our civilizations or about a higher civilization coming and asking us for, you know, why are you doing this to your planet? Kind of like making us come to account of what we've done to the environment. So those are the, I think the two main themes that we see a lot in the scarier movies now. Um, unless it's like alien where it's just alien trying to eat you. Hmm. So you have down in your notes, you're talking, you say love mixtapes sent out into space. I need to know the context for that. Oh, okay. I have a lot of I have a lot of these examples. So we have this. Um, what well, we have since the seventies. The seventies was a wild time for us sending mixtapes out into space. Um, Love that for in, us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's very on brand for humanity. Um, so around, let me see if I get the years right. In nineteen seventy two and then nineteen seventy three as well, we sent out the pioneer plaques, and what they were is this these. Um, I think they were actually made out of gold or some golden metal and they have engraved on them. They have information about our position on the solar system. So a kind of like we are here sign and some information about basic human anatomy and some, some other basic info about humanity. And we sent these out um, to space on, <laughs> on these, on these little buddies, the pioneers that um, don't have an exact, um, they're, they're not going anywhere in particular. They're kind of just set out to travel through space. And the idea is that somebody might bump into these. And that's a really cool thing that we did over and over again. In 1974, we sent out the Arecibo message, which was um, not physical, I believe. It was a signal that we sent out. And it had more information. It had another... Um, were located right here in the solar system um, map. It had information about DNA, so the elements and the structure that make up DNA on Earth. And it had the Arabic numerals 1 through 10, so that they knew kind of like the basics of our mathematics. Um, so we really want whatever intelligent life that's out there to know kind of some basic info, like, like a Tinder page about us. Like, like swipe there, right. I'm really, okay, so again, as I said earlier, I've maybe watched Independence Day a lot, but kind of a lot, but I'm just throwing it out there that maybe that's not the best thing to do. Like, maybe we shouldn't send out information of our genetic structure to... Yeah, we're like sending it over like, who? here we are, here's our genetics, like... Like, here's a beacon, like, come find us. And, like, I don't know, it seems a little... Uh... This is literally the equivalent of this thing I used to do in undergrad, which is very 
unadvisable. And if you're a college student or a high school student, don't do this. But I used to make mixtapes and put like my social media on it and just leave them out in random places. Because I thought that I was going to like find a soulmate or a best friend that way. Just leaving, you seem way like, too many rom coms. That sounds like a very cute rom com beginning. But wouldn't it be cute if that was like an alien rom com beginning? Like you left a cute mixtape and some, some cute, cute uh, Channing Tatum werewolf Channing Tatum with his wings werewolf gone. Channing Tatum. <laughs> werewolf Channing Tatum found your mixtape. <laughs> he wants to listen to it with his shirt off with you. Um, That's secretly what I was hoping for the entire time. I wasn't hoping for a cutie in, in my undergrad. I was hoping for, like, alien Channing Tatum to find that mixtape and hit me up on Twitter. Um, um, I think um, that's actually kind of interesting that they said about the alien anatomy. I know I, I kind of really want to talk a little bit about alien anatomy because um, unless have we have we sent more weird mixtapes into space? Please tell me it stopped in the 70s. Oh, no. It didn't stop. Well, there was one more in the 70s, and then we did one more recently. Um, these were actual mixtapes, though. In 1977, we sent out a literal golden record, like an old vinyl record, but it was golden. And it's called The Songs of Earth. So a literal golden record, and it contains greetings from Earth in over 50 languages. It contains a message from the United United Nations, and it has two sides. It has a side A and a side B worth of music from around the world. And the record is traveling on the Voyager, which also has no set destination. It's only meant to travel across the universe until it hits something or something finds it, which is, you know, optimistic. <laughs> Uh, if, you've, if you've seen if you've seen Star Trek the film from the original I series, I know uh, they bring it up. Yeah, the it, it but his name its name is V'ger now, and it's, it's like sentient or something. It's sentient now. That's <laughs> yeah, it's sentient. It became it became a people, it became a Aww. thing. It's anyway. a person now. Um, so and I think I, I'm this might be wrong, but I think it was Carl Sagan who was he was involved. Carl Sagan was involved with basically all of these on, to some extent, hmm. but um, I believe it was him or someone else involved in the project that said, even if this information is outdated by the time it reaches sentient life, I hope it says something about humanity. And I'm paraphrasing here that we sent out this hopeful message, not knowing who or when it would be found, like who it would be found by or when. Um, so even if that's the message that's received, that's something we want to say about humanity. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so we're romantics as like a species. We've got this romantic idea that like somebody's going to find our mixtape and be like, oh, that's so cute. I want to know them. Um, and then the more recent one that happened was uh, not a physical one, but we beamed out in 2008. We beamed the song Across the Universe, because we're corny like that, we beamed the song Across the Universe by the Beatles in the general direction of the star of the star Polaris. And actually, scientists don't expect that there is any planet capable of recognizable or human-like life in that direction. But we sent it anyway. With we the same idea know. that somebody might find it. Why, yeah, do they have, that... why do they have to be so dismissive? We don't know. We don't know anything. Exactly. I'm like, you need to chill a little bit with what you think you know. And also, if their life form isn't like carbon-based or whatever it doesn't mean that they can't listen to some jams yeah know? well okay so that 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 ties so beautifully into my next little ramble about what aliens look like hit me with it i'm going to hit you with it in three two one <laughs> so i think the thing it's kind of really interesting is you know we we imagine aliens 
as being vaguely humanoid. And I think even when we imagine them as being weird, we imagine them as being earth adjacent. So sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll see aliens that kind of look like an octopus or they'll look like a worm or they'll look like a praying mantis or they'll look like something else. Um, can you hear Scully snoring? I can't, but I wish I could. Ah, that'd be so good. Um, so the thing is, is <clears throat> when we when we see aliens or when we depict them in movies, um, it's typically based on someone else's imagination because obviously our brains can't even kind of go in that way. And mm-hmm. um, there's a couple articles that again we're going to link for for our uh, Patreon followers. Um, some of these kind of reading links. Um, but it's in Popular Mechanics. It has interviews with a bunch of different uh, experts where they share what they think aliens would look like. But the the way they kind of compared it, so Aaron Rosenberg, who's a science fiction author, he compared it to, you know, the way we depict aliens in movies is like finding the weirdest shaped M&M in a bag, but then looking at it <laughs> and realizing. So like, you know, you pull out like this, this super weird looking M&M and you're like, man, this is, is a weird living thing. But then you look up and you realize that you're in an entire candy store filled with literally thousands of other kinds of candy so most of which that you have never even heard of before a real alien would be so far from anything we ever imagined we could be yeah it's beyond our imagination it's a it's beyond our imagination i mean i think um i can't recall where i read it but i heard it described that we would genetically share so much more in common with a rose than we would with any alien that we ever encountered just because our genetic makeup has so much more in common with a plant because we all sort of came from the same stock than we would with anything that we encountered from another planet. Yeah, I think that that I mean, that makes a lot of sense when you think about evolution and how the way we look and the way we are comes so much from the elements and what's available and the atmosphere and the conditions of Earth. And without the con- Maybe that's why we search for intelligent life in planets that are similar to Earth. But I think we have to open up that scope because there could be intelligent life that looks nothing, behaves nothing like, and, you know, has nothing to do with human life. And it's still yeah, I mean, be well, cool. I think even, even the way, you know, we have eyes because they've adapted to the way light works on our planet with our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what if there was you know creatures that evolved with a totally different sun with a totally different atmosphere with a totally different um environments you know maybe they get their energy from the sun um there's a couple things that we do know would be consistent so they would need to be able to reproduce or make others they would need to be able to perceive their environment in some way it doesn't have to be from eyes, but they would need to be able to perceive it in some way. And then they would need to be able to communicate in some way. So those are kind of, that's it. When you think about a higher life form, that's really the only tangible relationship that we would potentially have. Um, do, do they need to be physical necessarily? I'm thinking of, there are some movies and like, I, I guess contact isn't, is one that you could... Yeah, it's kind of like contact. So I'm thinking of movies and and media where aliens aren't very physical so much as just uh, mental beings, like beings that kind of just are misty and telepathic. 
maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's 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 totally something possible. I mean, I think that your brain could go there. We could imagine that happening, but I think from a tangible perspective, it's like, well, how would that how would that have ever come about? Like, how would it? I think I think that ties into though it it would need to be able to have a a structure that is held together in some way. So there, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's why like there could be cloud alien, but I think that in order to have been successful in any kind of evolutionary context of where it's able to like thrive in an environment, I think it has to be able to be tangible. You know, it has to be able to have some structure that it can can grow and, and evolve and things like that. Um, so according to Charlie Henley, who is a VFX supervisor on the Alien films, he theorized that aliens in movies look like people or you know, earth creatures, because if it doesn't follow the rules we know, it's hard to sell it as something real and tangible. And so his theory behind that was it's not that people aren't imagining aliens as being fantastical enough. It's just that we hit a line where we can't keep imagining because the audience won't believe it. So even though it may think, you know, scientifically these aliens are going to be totally off the wall and bananas and communicate with gas clouds or something like that. They have to have some connection to something on earth in order for people to buy it. I think that brings us back to the why of it all though. So why aliens? According to Gary Westfall, who is a science fiction author and reviewer, uh, he sees aliens as both metaphors and a very real possibility. Uh, he sees it as a way for us to reflect upon and comment on human nature. But he also theorized that it's because humans crave companionship in a vast and cold universe, and aliens may represent a hopeful, compensatory images of the strange friends we have been unable to find. I think that tracks. I think if you sit down for a second and think about the vastness of the universe and then picture our little planet alone it's it's kind of too much to handle. So it, it kind of totally makes sense. I think this all comes back to the central theme that we talked about uh, in the very beginning about why aliens. It's, do we believe because we think they're real and just because all of the signs point to there being something out there? Do we believe because we are afraid and we think they're going to attack us or hurt us? Or do we believe because we want them to save us and they're a symbol of a more hopeful future? And I would posit like the fourth option, which is we are social beings. And the idea that we could be all alone out here is kind of a little bit too much. Um, If we are afraid, it might be just that fear, that hostile or friendly we want somebody else out there with us. So n- completely disregarding the historical and cultural and religious reasons for believing in aliens. I'm going to get a little millennial here. Do it. <laughs> Do you think we like to believe in aliens because we don't like being the only grown-ups in the room? Oh God, yes. That makes that makes all the sense in the world. Because if you, yeah, if you think of like the millennial comprehension of aliens, going back to the Area Fifty One raid that we talked about in the beginning, because 
we just wanted to get in there and party with them and be like, yes, yeah, see, we knew that you were in there all along. We freed you. We don't want to be like the ones at the top of the food chain. We want somebody smarter than us who can come and be like, you did a good job, kid, but here's how you really run a planet, you know, <laughs> or something like that. You know, I think it's, it's, I mean, just again, kind of coming into, at least from my own kind of perspective, I personally find the idea of aliens soothing because I don't like us being the adultiest adults. And I like this idea of there's someone out there that knows more than us. And I'm not personally, this is not the time for this discussion, but I'm not personally very religious. And so sometimes there's this thought of please is there somebody else that's that's like pulling the strings please may there be alien people that are like monitoring our civilization <laughs> they'll step in <laughs> and and that they know more and that they can tell us how we have to be smart and they can tell us what we're what we're doing wrong because you know we're just winging it here you know someone to tell us that we're messing up too badly i think that i want to believe and i do believe and I like the um, I like the merging, and again, I won't get into the discussion like you on either. But I like the merging of religion and science. I think that I want it all to make sense together. Um, all of our very earthly beliefs and all of our scientific hopeful beliefs can kind of coexist and all make sense. Whenever we ever get to speak to them or communicate with them, then all of a sudden we'll be like, oh, okay, now I get it. Um, and I think kind of that speaks to the whole adulting thing you were talking about, too. Yeah, I just, I, I, I want, we, there, there has to be another, I mean, I think so much of, of, of at least my millennial experience is sort of getting to this phase of adulthood and kind of looking around and realizing that if there is no one driving the bus. <laughs> You know, you're driving the bus. We are driving the bus. We've been driving it the whole time. And I think the idea that there could be someone else that is kind of holding the keys and, and just like, oh, of course, we're not leaving it up to you, you silly billies. Um, it, it's going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of really nice, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I want aliens to come. God, doesn't that sound great? Imagine if aliens came down right now. Let's talk about it. I know we said we didn't care if they were real, but, like, let's think about it. How awesome would it be if they were, like, aliens came down and they were, like, we're taking it from here. Yeah, and it's, like, or, or even if we do travel out and then find them, it's kind of, like, the ultimate moving back in with your parents. Like, this is a place where we've got it together and you can come here and it's okay. Yeah. I, I just, will I stay alive here. Here. I want them to come here and, like, set up, it's like, the re like, the parents move in with you. Like I want them to just like, come, it's, you know. It's like it's like when your mom comes over and helps you helps you like organize your your sock drawers and your 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 closet and stuff like that. I say that yeah, like it's, it's a universal it's, experience. Maybe that's not universal, but when my mom comes over, she organizes my stuff for me. Just the comforting kind of, sense of like somebody who knows what the heck is going on. Yeah, helping you out. So yeah, I think that that's the kind of the millennial experience of aliens. I would love it if we could tie all of our discussions. Uh, you know, this is the first episode of our podcast, and we're sort of finding our feet about how our discussions sort of flow. But it'd be nice if we could just tie them all back into the millennial experience. It'd be great if we could figure out an industry that we're killing. Oh, in every episode? Okay, so let's, <laughs> yeah. let's try it now. 
What is our what industry is the millennial obsession with aliens currently killing? We should put the, the flat Jeopardy, Earth theory. The Jeopardy music. A... The Jeopardy music. Um, we should throw that to our listeners. What industry millennials are currently killing blank with their alien obsession? Oh, that's excellent. That's some that's some interaction right there. Tell us in social media or in an email. We should probably give out our social media. Um, what industry are millennials killing with their alien obsession? In an email. Nobody emails anymore, Adri. Listen, I'm an old lady at heart. I know. Email Email is like calling someone on the phone. If someone calls me on the phone, they better be dead or dying. <laughs> dead or dying. The only reason to call before without texting. Yeah. When my phone rings, I'm like, I seriously, I'm like, are you dead? Why are you calling me? But anyways, nobody emails anymore. Well, you can find us on Twitter. If your numbers are handle. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Basic Stuff Mag because that's where we both work. <laughs> but you can also, if you want, just the updates on our podcast feed and you are not interested in all the other lovely things that we do in our free time. Which you, you should because it's on, awesome. Yeah. You can follow us on the Obsession Pod on Twitter. I think, like, this is one more reason my Cuban family members can never listen to this podcast. Um, yeah, no one's ever going to listen to this freaking podcast. Yeah. We should put that in there. That should be the end of the show. The end of the podcast is we know no one's been listening to this podcast, but if you have been, thank you. We're going to send this episode out there, like the mixtapes into space, just hoping yes. it's going to hit someone in the face and they'll listen. Ooh, poetic. Poetic, Adri. There you <laughs> We're go. We're just going to send it off. <laughs> Send it off into space. Send it off. Okay. Right. Well, until next time, that was us rambling for about an hour about what's the obsession with aliens. Uh, you can join us next time where we're probably going to talk about either werewolves or true crime or vampires. Or, or succulents. Or succulents. Freaking succulents. Which may be aliens. We may have a crossover event on our hands. Yes. Yeah. It'll, it'll be a part two. A part two of Aliens, how all the plants you love are aliens secretly. Look, we don't know where this contest is going to go. It's going to get weird. Bye.